Let's turn now to our text, which comes from Psalm 26. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I've walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. So far, the reading of God's word. Beloved in the Lord, how does one have the confidence to declare his righteousness before God? In our conflicts, we know that we sin. How can we pray as the psalmist does in Psalm 26? We are told that we sin every day. Our sinful nature is constantly attacking. The devil is prowling. How can we be so confident in our righteousness? And these questions are honest, but they demonstrate a skewed understanding of what it means to be righteous in God. When we come to God in Jesus Christ, he places us in grace. We are firmly settled on the rock of Jesus Christ, and in him we can pray this sort of prayer. At the same time, it is good to recognize, it's good to go through these questions in order to test our own hearts, lest we do grow overconfident in ourselves. Yet, how do we, do we distinguish between this and the prayer of the Pharisee in Luke? If you remember that parable that Christ told, the Pharisee told God about all the good things that he did and expected to be justified before God by those things. The problem there is what the man expected to be justified by. He failed to begin with reliance on God. The prayer given here in Psalm 26, in contrast, shows complete reliance on God. In fact, the very fact that the psalmist comes to God to justify himself demonstrates who his hope is truly in. In Luke, the Pharisee vindicates himself. The psalmist seeks vindication in God, from God. I bring you the word of the Lord under the theme, Vindicate Me. And first we'll see how that happens in the self-surrender of the psalmist to God. 
in the worship of the psalmist, and finally, in the integrity of the psalmist, in the self-surrender, the worship, and the integrity of the psalmist. For whatever reason, the psalmist feels under attack, and it's a particular kind of attack. It's an attack that accuses the psalmist of wrongdoing. In response, the psalmist carefully distances himself from evil men and their actions and demonstrates instead his closeness to God. Accusations can often bring out the worst in us. We like to think that we are gods, and as gods, we believe that we are the arbiters of reality. We can fail to recognize our limitations. We begin to defend ourselves, but without first bringing it to God. And that's because our God, our self, has been attacked. And we can even respond to false accusations like this. That's why people bring false accusations. They can work if the accused is unable to control himself. The psalmist psalmist approach is very different. Vindicate me, O Lord. The psalmist asks the Lord to prove him right. Yet he is confident in his request of the Lord. For I have walked in my integrity. He has kept his promises and his duties to his fellow man. And I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. The psalmist adds his firm faith in the Lord to his integrity. God has placed him in grace and he remains in grace, though the enemy points a finger and accuses him. And this is how we ought to respond to false accusations. We do not know, we, do, we know that we do not have the power to stand before those accusations in our own right. Especially since many false accusations have their source in the accuser himself, Satan. Once we have found our center in God as the source of truth, then we may, like Paul or Nehemiah, demonstrate our blamelessness. But we do so standing in the grace of God. Standing in great God's grace, we can be confident that the various sins that cling to us are cleansed in the blood of Christ. And these can be distinguished from the matter in which we are accused, for which we presumably are truly blameless. And this is simply a necessary consequence of the doctrine of justification. The teaching that I am reconciled to God through faith and not through good works. If we have found safety in Christ, the rock, if we have not wandered off from him but come daily in repentance before his throne and continually seek his spirit, we can be confident when the accuser comes, in whatever form he comes, we know that Christ is our sure defense. The psalmist now proves his integrity through full self-surrender to the God he trusts. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. You can see the degree to which the psalmist knows that God is for him. God is the only one who knows the heart, and David knows that God knows his heart. He not only asks God to know him, but that God test him. 
He calls on God to show through the circumstances of his life his certainty in God and who he is. Are we willing to do this? Entrust ourselves to God and his goodness in our conflicts? Are we willing to put our heart and mind to the test before God? We often don't have enough certainty in God's love for us, in his care for us as his people. God is with us. He is for us. Our sin has been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. God will care for us to the end. Why should we not appeal to God before the accuser? This is not about me. It's not about the psalmist even. It's about God and his goodness. In Christ, God is our defender before the accusations of the world. If we cannot pray this prayer, then either our cause is not worthy, or we do not have confidence in the greatness of the grace of Jesus Christ. David continues, For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. David knows that his safety in the testing is based on the steadfast love of God, a God who knows what is good for David. That's why he can trust himself to God. As you you walk into an uncertain future, you can entrust yourself to that steadfast love, even while lying tongues seek to accuse you and tear you down. In this line, too, we see that David's integrity relies not on walking in his own faithfulness, but relies on walking in God's faithfulness. And so we walk relying on God's faithfulness. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. So what does it mean to walk in God's faithfulness? It means to walk obedient to the word, formed by the word, for the sake of God's glory. David looks forward to our own walk in the spirit, a walk where we live by every breath that comes from the word of God. And that all centers on one important word that describes our continual relationship with God. Worship, flowing from corporate worship to our personal and family worship, this is our conversation with God that continually reorients our hearts to Him. And that brings us to our second point, worship. The psalmist begins by distancing himself from a certain type of man. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. Now, we should not imagine here that David never hung out with sinners. Rather, this is more something, more like what we might call platforming today. That is, some type of public act that legitimizes somebody, signals to everybody that this is a good person. David will not sit with sinners in a way that legitimizes them. 
More precisely, the sitting with refers to sharing in a judgment. Picture the judgments of the Supreme Court sitting and deliberating together. David may be falsely accused, but he will never join men of falsehood in falsely accusing another. Again, this is a demonstration of David's integrity. The Catechism, in its thoughts on the Ninth Commandment, explains God's prohibition of false witness with the line, joining and condemning someone rashly or unheard. It's easy when accused to bring counter-accusations. Be careful. Let God do the work of vindication. God is faithful. Similarly, the psalmist proclaims, I hate the assembly of the evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. Instead, he's pushed away the wicked. Instead, he connects himself with the justice of God. He comes to God in worship. He connects himself with God, and there he finds a place of peace. I wash my hands in innocence and go round your altar, O Lord. As he approaches the Lord through the rituals of the Old Testament, the psalmist is assured of his innocence before the Lord. In that certainty of reconciliation with God, our Creator and our Father, the psalmist proclaims thanksgiving aloud and tells of all God's wondrous deeds. If our horizontal, our outward relationships with with one another are troubled and broken, the place to begin is our relationship with God. Let's stand before God based on what he did for us in Christ and so wash our hands in his innocence. And let us remember what God has done. We go to worship God to remember the mighty deeds that he has done. We look up to where our flesh is, Christ at the right hand of God. We might be tempted to join the liars and the wicked in response to accusations, but the correct place to go is Christ. He's the one who does mighty deeds for the sake of his saints. Brothers and sisters, that's why we have the histories that are laid out in the the scriptures. God proves his goodness and faithfulness again and again to those who fear him. If you fear him, if you come and join the saints in thanksgiving, singing of what he has done in Israel, in Christ, in the Holy Spirit, that gives you confidence in response to the words of the accuser. And this all underlines the high importance of corporate worship as central to the life of the Christian as he walks before God. God has promised that his glory dwells in the assembly of the saints. We see that in the coming of the Holy Spirit as God comes with glory upon those assembled in Jerusalem. We also see that in places like Hebrews 12, Acts 2 verse 42, and 1 Corinthians 11 to 13. We come and affirm the forgiveness of sins and sing again of what God has done. Through this, God gives us certainty as we face the accuser. It's important to see here that the accusations here need not only apply to moments of of high conflict with human accusers, but that our closeness to God keeps us from the accuser, Satan. 
Satan loves to use our remaining sin to get us to despair of God's love. All false accusations reflect his desire to destroy the people of God, his enmity for those who love God. Once again, it is in the worship of God that we find strength against these lies of Satan. The promises of forgiveness of sins and the reminder of the goodness of God give us fresh strength concerning our vindication. That's why the psalmist, upon recounting his continual presence in the worship of God, follows that up by his declaration of love for the assembly. O oh Lord, I love the habitation of your house. He refers to the tabernacle or else the momentary place where, where the ark resided at that time. I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Again, the the glory of God was promised to reside with the mercy seat at this time. For us, as I already mentioned, this glory is found in the assembly of the saints. His love for the sanctuary results in his plea. Do not sweep away my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hand are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. He feels so surrounded by evil that he fears that when the judgment of God comes, he will be carried along with all the sinners all around him. His love of the sanctuary and his desire to worship God is what separates him from bloodthirsty men. These realities speak to us. We can feel so surrounded by evil, bloodthirstiness, and by lies that we do not have an anchor to hold us onto the good path. We know the justice of God. Will we not too be destroyed in his wrath against evil? Will we too be swept away? Absolutely not, because we do have an anchor, our Lord Jesus Christ, and he holds us and preserves us amid the floods of evil. And that brings us to our third point, integrity. The psalmist has offered himself up to the Lord, completely surrendering his case to the judge of all the earth. He has proclaimed his love of the Lord's sanctuary, and and he's distanced himself from the wicked and the liars. Now he commits again to the integrity he has already proclaimed before the Lord. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. What is integrity? Integrity. It's the opposite of hypocrisy. It is to have the inner man and the outer man match. To keep your promises. To do the work that you have been called to do. The psalmist has kept justice and mercy as God has called him to do. In his position as king over Israel. He's not taken what did not belong to him. He has not perverted justice. He has walked before God as a man after God's own heart. And despite the accusations, the psalmist will continue to walk in integrity. He might be tempted to break with his own integrity in order to get back at his enemies. But he has found certainty in his memories of worshiping a God and relying on God's steadfast love. He knows that the way will not be easy. That's why he cries out in the next line, Redeem me and be gracious to me. It's basically a prayer that God will rescue and that the way God is given will not overburden the psalmist. As we might pray, Lord, have mercy upon us. 
As we look forward, we might have burdens that are hard to bear. We might have old wounds that break out afresh, and with them, anger that leads to sin. Even as we commit to integrity, we need the Lord's mercy and redemption. We are weak, and we need the Lord's kindness in our walk. Thankfully, we have a Lord who knows our weakness and will not burden us with more than we can bear. And that's what can give us the confidence that the psalmist has in the last verses of this psalm. We can commit to walking in integrity because even if we are not sure what we can bear, God gives us all that we need. We might question that at a certain moment, but God does give all that we need. And so we can say, my foot stands on level ground. Because I am in God, I stand on level ground. God has made a way for me in Jesus Christ so that I can stand. And so in the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. David speaks here of the great feasts of Israel where he can bless the Lord. And we can look even farther beyond where having put behind this life, we can come to the wedding feast of the Lamb after the final judgment And there we can bless the Lord for all he has done for us. For on that final day, we'll have the final answer to the prayer, Vindicate me, O Lord. We will stand fully in the grace of God, and all the accusers' mouths will be shut. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's sing from Psalm 26, the first four verses of Psalm 26. Mm -hmm. 